Welcome to In the Elements. Smith and welcome to In the Elements, where we explain science through the human lens. There were a lot of heroes in Houston during Hurricane Harvey, but today we're focusing on one particular group, the meteorologists. Dozens and dozens of meteorologists were working on the forecast for Harvey, whether it was on local television or in the National Weather Service in Houston or all the way across the country at the National Hurricane Center in Miami. Meteorologists put thousands of hours into forecasting and preparing for Harvey. Their work ultimately saved lives. We're joined by two National Weather Service meteorologists, one of which was brand new to the job and had to adjust quickly, and the other got the call to duty while on vacation. And we'll end the show with a conversation with Matt Lanza of Space City Weather to reflect on the emotional drain of Harvey. But before that, let's talk about what happened. Harvey was on everyone's radar well in advance of landfall. Can you take us through the forecast? Sure. The very first advisories put out by the National Hurricane Center for Harvey were on August 17th. The hurricane ended up making landfall in Texas on August 25th, eight days apart. But meteorologists were tracking Harvey well before that on models and satellite. I did a search on Twitter and found Harvey mentions as early as August 13th, so 12 days out. Not many events get talked about that far in advance. Harvey started as a tropical wave way out in the Atlantic, then eventually moved east past a group of islands called the Lesser Antilles. And then on August 19th, Harvey actually dissipated. The remnants crossed the Yucatan Peninsula into the Gulf of Mexico, and that's where things start to ramp up. Wednesday, August 23rd, Harvey reforms over the Gulf as a tropical depression, quickly strengthening into a tropical storm 14 hours later, and then eventually achieving hurricane strength 12 hours later. At this point, Harvey is about 40 hours out from landfall. The hurricane then goes through something called rapid intensification. This happens when the atmospheric conditions are conducive for tropical development and the hurricanes over very warm waters. And that's exactly what happened with Harvey. It intensified rapidly and eventually into a Category 4 hurricane before landfall. A Category 4 hurricane has sustained winds above 130 miles per hour. The peak wind gust recorded on land from Harvey was 132 miles per hour. Now, one interesting thing about the forecast for Harvey is that the National Hurricane Center initially thought it was going to end up making landfall as a Cat 1 or 2, uh, 48, 48 to 24 hours out. Becky, I know you were following this forecast. What were some of the things going through your head while this was developing? Yeah, so the Friday evening that it was set to make landfall, um, I was I was glued to my laptop watching data come in, watching the satellite loops, watching the weather channel on TV. Um, nerd alert. <laughs> extreme nerd alert. And the only thing I was thinking was there's nothing to stop this from continuing to intensify until it interacts with land. It has all the warm, warm Gulf water to to intensify it. And sure enough, it just kept intensifying. And the recon from the plane came back with it being uh, the wind speeds being a cat four, just I think maybe an hour before it made landfall. Like it was literally strengthening up until 
it was over land and maybe even briefly for a time after it already made landfall, Harvey was still strengthening. One of the biggest things about this storm was the rainfall that it brought. Uh, you know, all tropical systems bring the wind, rain and surge. But this one, particularly the the inland flooding was the biggest thing, the, the biggest impact. I saw rainfall forecasts that I literally had never seen before in a non-mountainous area. Many places saw over 40 inches of rain in less than 48 hours, and the highest recorded storm total for Harvey was 51.88 inches, which is a North American record. Um, Becky, from a kind of an impact standpoint, why did this make Harvey so different than most hurricanes? Well, I think the one of the biggest things, you know, besides the obvious immense amount of rain was the time frame. It it just kept raining for days. Harvey made landfall on a Friday evening, um, well southeast of Houston, and then slowly drifted north towards Houston. And so all through Saturday, all through Sunday into Monday, there were just persistent feeder bands of extremely heavy rainfall. We're talking like two, three, four inches per hour rainfall for hours and hours. With an, a normal hurricane making landfall, you'll have hurricane conditions for at most 24 hours probably in one location. Um, and that's more so the wind aspect. With Harvey, like I said, it just it just kept raining. As we know, Harvey eventually made landfall in Texas and impacted Houston, which has over 2.3 million people living there. So a lot of people feeling this impact, which means meteorologists had a huge task ahead of them. And that's the story we want to tell today. Not every meteorologist working in Houston had such deep connections and roots in Houston. In fact, there was one meteorologist whose first week on the job at National Weather Service Houston was the week of Hurricane Harvey. We're joined now by Katie McGee of National Weather Service in Houston. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. So Hurricane Harvey made landfall on Friday evening, August 26th. When did you arrive in Houston, and when was your first day at the Houston WFO? So I moved to Houston on August 15th, and my first official day starting at the WFO was August 21st, that Monday. Wow. So that, I mean, that's just jumping in the first. Yeah, it was rough. What was your shift like during Harvey? Well, I mean, I'd only just started. We started 12-hour shifts on Thursday. And so I hadn't been trained, you know, on any of the forecast desks. That usually takes, you know, weeks, months. So on Tuesday or Wednesday, Lance, our Sue, came up and off suggested that I work uh, potentially the social media desk. And so I mostly monitored Facebook and Twitter during the storm. So I sat and eventually that evolved into also uh, creating hourly um, and then also three hourly, six hourly, daily, and then three daily uh, rain totals and also maximum wind gusts. Uh, and also helping log storm reports. So I just sat at the desk and helped in you know, any way I could with my limited knowledge of how how things worked at the office. I had a very, very brief introduction before getting you know, thrown into the deep end here. So, I mean, whenever someone had time to teach me how to use a software system or any other small thing I could do to just help free up someone else's time, I absorbed that and you know, quickly tried to work with them to free them up to do the millions of other things they had to do. So brand new job, brand new environment, high impact event. You've 
already touched on this a fair amount, but what was it like working in the setting besides inundating? I mean, I, I imagine really high stress. Oh yeah. Yeah. High stress. Definitely. And then just, you know, sitting there with a few, few moments, I had to look around just completely in awe of how hardworking everyone else in the office was. I mean, they all had their own role to support the public and all the government organizations and briefings they were giving. And I mean, at the time I'd look around and just be completely overwhelmed and almost helpless, I guess, because I couldn't, I didn't even know what questions to ask to try and help or try and figure out what I don't know. Like there's, this is the Disney nerd in me coming out, the scene in Pocahontas where she sings a line, you'll learn you never knew what you never knew. Like I, I had no idea what I didn't know. Um, so, I mean, just kind of feeling that stress of everyone in the office and the storm was completely impacting everyone. And they were watching this insane amount of rain fall on their friends and family and then also issuing tornado warnings over their houses. I, I mean, I suppose I had it easier in a way because I didn't know a soul in Houston outside the office. Uh, so being new to the office was also an added stressor for me, too, um, to work in that setting. I, you know, didn't want to bother anyone with small questions, but I also didn't want to just sit in a corner and do nothing. So finding a balance there was tough. But everyone in that office was so great and readily took me under their wing and showed me the ropes uh, even in this, you know, completely high-end stressful situation, the whole time they were joking that every other day of my career would just seem completely dull. And I mean, they weren't wrong so far, but that's certainly not a bad thing. So you were on social media uh, for a good chunk of, of your shift, and, and that was kind of uh, your main role during the storm. And so I assume you were seeing a lot of the impacts and a lot of the people that were affected and and I, I can imagine that's pretty emotionally draining to, to keep seeing those things over and over again. So I'm wondering how you kind of kept yourself in check and kind of sane during that time. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, at some point, it's like you kind of have to put up an emotional wall just to kind of block yourself, the professional from the personal. I mean, you're getting, like you said, on social media, these pictures of flooded homes. You're getting these cries for help. I mean, even on the phone and also on social media, you have people saying, help me, my phone battery is dying, 911 isn't answering, my home is flooding, the water's rising, what do I do? And you know, wow. you can tell them the rain's I'm not going to stop falling. It's, it's going to continue falling. And I, I, you just tell them you have to stay on the line with 911 until they answer. But then the phone lines, you know, their phone batteries die and it's just ugh, completely overwhelming. Um, so you just kind of block yourself off and become almost just a robot in some ways. And you just have, you have these lines programmed in you that you repeat back to them. Did the National Weather Service actually get those types of calls from people that needed help that were just trying to find someone to, to reach out to? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It was just someone who would answer. You know, we'd answer the phone as much as we could, but even, even in the time I'd be on one phone call, there would be two other calls that would be on hold and then eventually they'd hang up just thinking another another person who can't take my call another person who isn't listening um so that was difficult and i mean even then i just worked the day shift from 8 a.m to 8 p.m there was still everyone at night when they when they can't see what's going on they can't see how high the water is necessarily so that was a completely other uh horrible issue wow so chaotic uh high stress obviously are there any other words that you would use to describe the atmosphere in those you know six seven days uh, in the office yeah um helpless in a way you're sitting here you know warm and dry in this office and 
you see first responders going out and helping people and, you know, you issue the forecast to generate these products. And at the same time, there's only so much you can do and you wish, I mean, you wish you could do more. You wish you could help these people. I mean, these are, these are lives on the line here. The forecast is an important aspect of that, helping prepare emergency managers ahead of time, knowing, hey, you need to get more more water rescue resources ahead of time, which luckily we were able to do. But I mean, that also calls in the you know eternal communication aspect of uh, meteorology. You know, you can have a perfect forecast, but if nobody knows it, then was it really perfect? So I I, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the things outside of your professional duty and like your your shift hours what what were some of the hardships you faced um outside of that like did you get to sleep a normal amount of hours were you eating well did you get to go back to your place during like after hours what what was that like i got to the office saturday well we started working 12 hour shifts on thursday so that was 8 a.m to 8 p.m and then i went home thursday night and then I came in Friday, another eight to eight, went home Friday night. And I remember driving in Saturday and, you know, I'd go over overpasses and there would be these crazy wind gusts. I'd see signs completely horizontal. Um, and I just, I just knew I'm, I'm not making it home tonight. I'm, I'm going to stay at the office. And we're lucky that we share a building with the Galveston County emergency managers. So it's essentially a bunker. It's built to withstand Category 4, Category 5 hurricane. It has a complete bunk set on the upper level. It has bathrooms, it has showers, it has full kitchens. So in that sense, we were very well taken care of. Um, But the bunks were on the top floor and it had a tin roof. So with, you know, this waterfall of rain continuously falling, it was impossible to sleep. So luckily they had cots. Uh, we would set these up in copy rooms, conference rooms, offices. Um, I slept in the copy room that first night, Saturday night. And I think it was just me and maybe one or two other forecasters from the day shift who stayed over. Um, everyone else went home. And then Saturday night was when, you know, it's a huge amount of rain fell right over Dickinson and League City where the office is. And so a lot of people couldn't make it in. And so I just remember waking up Sunday you know, like super fresh, like just rolled off the cot, which by the way, in the copy room, it's motion sensor lights. So every time I'd roll over on this, you know, tiny confining cot, the lights would come on. Oh my gosh. So it was just, yeah, not, not quality sleep while working 12 hour stressful days. So I, you know, grab my toothbrush, went out to brush my teeth, you know, rolling straight out of bed. And the national guard is in the hallway. And I'm sitting here in like stark PJs, just kind of frozen for a little bit, just completely taken aback. And it was kind of funny in a sense, just sitting here like, oh my gosh, what is my life right now? (laughs) And (laughs) they were getting ready to go do these water rescues. Like they were sitting there prepping, getting briefings. And it just put it all completely in perspective. I mean, like I said before, we're sitting in this bunker of a building. We have everything we need. And they're just bouncing from place to place, anywhere that has beds, anywhere that has showers. So, I mean, that was, that was weird. Um, so I woke up Saturday and then I ended up staying at the office the, for the nights through Tuesday. And then finally someone was like, oh, we need to get Katie out of here. So then I stayed with a coworker through Thursday. I'm like, man, we're sick of this girl. Get her out. <laughs> um, but it had been so long. I've six days was the max a person was displaced from their home. That's a, 
that's my gleaming title there. Uh, wow. So the last two days I was able to stay with a coworker. And so she, you know, very willingly took me in and said, you know what? I have a spare bedroom. Please, please stay here. And that was the best night of sleep I can even remember having just sleeping in a bed, being able to have the lights turned off. And it, it, that was also just emotionally just somewhere to relax, somewhere to just be able to close a door and be away from it all. You know, if you're at the office 24 seven, multiple days in a row, you're not, you're not getting away from it. There's nowhere for you to just sit and breathe, nowhere for you to go and kind of distance yourself emotionally from that. You can't just go home. You're in it. I think that's what sets people like you apart, like Matt apart, who you're forecasting for this thing that's in your backyard. It's directly impacting you. Like it's, it's I, for from a someone who forecasts from a national perspective, you know, it's pretty rare that I forecast a really devastating event to hit central Pennsylvania. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, it happened a few times in Kansas with tornado outbreaks and it's, it's just a whole different feeling. It's a whole different ball game. Like it's, it's happening to me. It's happening to people I know, like my coworkers are being impacted. Our, our homes are, are flooded. They're hit by a tornado. So I can definitely relate to that aspect of, you know, needing to emotionally disconnect, but not being able to. And that's really difficult. Yeah, definitely. And even then I, in a way was lucky because I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends or family in the area texting me saying, Oh my gosh, Katie, I'm, I'm flooding. I'm almost about to flood. Please tell me there's any more rain coming. And you're having these people who, you know, you love, who you care about pleading with you, helping you or hoping that you can give them some good news. And there's just no, there's no way for you to help in that sense. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was no good news for days. And with a storm like yeah. Harvey, like the impacts don't go away when the rains end and the winds die. I, it takes months, years, you know, Katrina's still recovering. So what mm -hmm. has Houston been like post Harvey? Has any sense of, of normalcy returned? Yeah. So I don't really have that much of a pre Harvey perspective on Houston. I, I really only know the aftermath of it. Um, I remember was it on Tuesday, um, I tried driving home and I ended up not making it after like an hour and a half or so of trying, but you, you'd pass by entire neighborhoods underwater. I, I can't imagine what it's like for them. I know there are some areas where entire neighborhoods just have campers in their driveway and that's what they live in because their homes, you, you can't live in your home anymore. It's so damaged. One of the most impactful parts of it for me was going out and actually doing those survey damage after the event. Um, you'd go into these communities and you would see just dozens, dozens of houses with all this debris out front, all of their, their belongings, their lives were out there. You know, you'd see picture frames, you'd see children's toys, sofas, um, furniture, you know, antiques that have been passed down for generations that were ruined in this. And, um, you know, having to objectively mark that down and say, you know, this neighborhood at this intersection will be flooded with this amount of rain. Or, you know, even interviewing the people trying to see where the water came from, if it's more of a complex basin, if there are multiple rivers or creeks or something impacting the area, knowing how that happened and hearing their stories was um, really, really difficult too. So I think that, you know, continued onwards. So those days would be more more 12 hour days. So it, it certainly didn't stop. Like you said, it didn't stop after the rains and winds died down. The sum of, of everyone's work saved lives. There's no doubt about that. 
I, I have no idea what kind of, you know, number or whatever to put on that, but it saved a lot of lives. What is that feeling like to, to do something like that that contributes to humanity in such a huge way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about it because we were just doing our jobs, you know, in and in a sense, we were just issuing the products we issued. We, you know, warned storms that needed warning. It's as much... As much as Harvey wasn't a routine storm, we went through mostly routine operations. You know, we we all just kind of built that wall and just chugged along day after day after day um, of 12-hour shifts, some people working over 12-hour shifts, depending on when relief was able to come in. Um, and, you know, you just, you just keep going. It's certainly humbling and really rewarding to know that you were able to help the public and give back. And like you said, there's, there's no way to, it's, it's immeasurable how many lives were saved. And that's, it keeps you going as much as Harvey could kind of tear someone down and you could look at it from a perspective of that was awful. That was horrible. I never want to come into work again, but knowing that you are directly impacting people, you are directly saving lives is inspiring. To me, it's amazing because just from talking to you, it seems like you didn't even think twice about doing what you did, even though you had to put your emotional mental health on the line. You had to, um, you know, sleep in an uncomfortable situation. You were probably just exhausted after all of that. And it seemed like no one even just, you just did your job and, and there was no consideration like, hey, this is going to be really challenging. And I don't know if I have a question. I just want to say thank you for, for doing that. Oh, yeah, of course. I, thank you. I, it just happened. There wasn't, there wasn't an option. It wasn't like you were just going to peace out and drive home. Like, nope, see you later. You just, you were there. You were, you were part of it, part of the team. Sean Looks, a meteorologist of the National Weather Service in Houston, Galveston, joined myself and Tyler Jankowski of the Weather Junkies podcast. We had a great conversation with Sean, talking about some of the things he experienced and some of the forecasting he did during Harvey. We're going to listen to just a few minutes of that podcast right now. Um, and I got to write things in that hurricane local statement that I, I can't say I ever imagined that I would ever be writing uh, professionally for real. It was... It was kind of surreal at, at some points. So, um, so yeah, what, what is that like? I, I'm not, you know, completely aware of, of the events that you forecast for um, in, in the past, but but this, this work that you did during this storm undoubtedly saved lives. Um, what is that feeling like, knowing your work saved lives? Um... <sighs> In some ways, I don't know that it's it's fully sunk in yet. It, it was such an amazing, incredible impact um, that, you know, at the time, you know, to get through it, I just kind of tried to, to, to shut out, you know, the big picture, the historical implications of everything, mm -hmm. even though I was writing about it at the time. I tried just not to, to think about it and give, you know, just here's what's happening, here are the facts, here's what's coming up, and and um, just kind of try to compartmentalize it um, just because it's it's so incredible 
Um, but afterwards, you hear things from your partners, especially in the emergency management. They talk about, you know, the the, the actions that they took because of our forecasts and and, and things like that. Um, and that you know they suspect, you know, we were we were going into this, we were expecting this. You know, you guys surely saved hundreds, if not thousands, of lives and. Um, to, to hear one of your, you know, your close partners, your emergency manager that you work right across the hall with day to day, um, it, it's pretty impacting. It, it makes you feel that, uh, that all the long hours and the, the sleeping in the office, you know, it's, it's nothing at all compared to, to what kind of impact you can have from that. Wow. Um, so, so you mentioned that before you you started um, the the work on Harvey, before you started, you know, at being at the office twenty four seven, you you had some time to prepare uh, your wherever you live. What what is the what is the feeling like knowing that um, you're going to be part of the thing you're forecasting for? Because I feel like. In a lot of cases, meteorologists are forecasting for something that they're probably not going to be impacted by that much, um, particularly in severe weather. I feel like um, that's the case. So I guess what is that feeling knowing you're going to be forecasting for um, something you'll be impacted by? Um, you know, going into it, I didn't feel like there was going to be much difference at all. And that's because... Um, I think looking back, because I, I hadn't really had to deal with it before, I've, uh, before I was in Houston, I worked in the Green Bay office and, you know, we had had a couple good, really solid snows where, you know, I'd get snowed into the office for, you know, a day or, or whatever, but then I'd get to go home and, and shovel myself out and it was no big deal. Um, you know, that's, that's nothing compared to the impact that Harvey was. And so afterwards, looking back on it, um, well, I guess the, the way I, I kind of try to I'd like to explain it is um, you had mentioned I, I do, you know, fire weather type things. I'll get assigned to wildfires to, to forecast weather uh, or smoke. And when you do that, you're out there for two weeks. You know, you're working 14 straight days and you're working 14, 15, 16 hours a day. And for Harvey, I worked just seven days in a row and it was 12 hour shifts but I was far more exhausted once we got back to our regular shifts with Harvey uh, than after uh, any fire assignment I've done, even though it was for a longer, those assignments are for a longer period and more hours per day. And, and I think just the fact that um, when you're forecasting something that's your home, that you're in for, um, just adds a, a whole new level of, of stress uh, onto that and it, it can be exhausting so what were some of the things that that you saw firsthand happen um during harvey whether it was flooding or wind or uh whatever uh, fortunately um we were in an area that that wasn't hit too terribly bad um so at the time um uh, i was at home saturday night and so that was um, kind of that period where you were, you know, seeing if you've been following on Twitter and watching that, you'd see things like Jeff Lindner, the, the Harris County Flood Control District, 
hydrologist tweeting out about you know this gauge which was the closest of their gauges to my house um even though i was in a, a neighboring county it was the closest gauge in, in their network getting 9.9 inches in an hour and a half and and things like that so i'm i'm sitting there and i'm looking out the window and you can't see much because it's it's dark but there's a lot of lightning and someone some probably some child's like little rubber inflatable type ball had blown into our yard and i was gauging how high the water was getting in my front yard based on when the lightning flashed how close that ball had been had floated towards the house oh my gosh um almost made it through that night uh but a little water did end up getting in my house so i was glad i I had the chance to get everything moved up to the first floor um but you know looking back at it i kind of have to feel lucky um because you you know you see the pictures and and the videos of people that are you hear the stories of people have to get up onto their roof and have to be Um, rescued off of it one of my wife's friends was among the group that had to be rescued by boat off of their roof Um, so uh, it's pretty incredible when we went out on damage surveys to to find high water marks to to try and investigate the impacts um, around the area after the storm um, there were some pretty incredible things Uh, one of our groups had to measure a high water mark off of the the inside of the roof of a gazebo it was it was eight or nine feet above ground um we had seen parts where just the the sheer force of the water coming down river channels was you know eroding the bank and cutting it you know right up right up to roads and you know if there had been just a little bit more that you know there might have been roads that would have been been swept away by that too so um just a, a lot of examples of the the sheer power of of just water um, around yeah. the area. Wow. Um, well, well, thank you for for you know being there and being a forecaster for that event. Um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of the weather community were really appreciative of all the meteorologists' work the past few weeks um, with the tropics being active. So it's been over three weeks since. Harvey hit. What are things like in Houston today? Um, kind of strangely back to normal. Um, it, it's kind of weird. There are a lot of things that are, you know, just like they were before the storm. You know, we're right back to normal. The water's down. I drive to work the same way I do. It it looks mostly the same, other than the large um, piles of junk that are piled up against the curb and. That's when you realize we're not normal. We still have a a long, long way to go yet. Harvey was an incredibly emotional forecast that challenged many of us in ways we've never been challenged before. In writing this personal retrospective, I sought a way to process this experience and convey the emotion of the last couple weeks in words. So this is my story, my call to action, my open letter to the city that I've come to love. I grew up in New Jersey and became fascinated by weather, most likely at the age of three. The memories are broken up and fuzzy now, but they're firmly in my mind. In 1985, Hurricane Gloria came barreling up the eastern seaboard, forcing my family to evacuate my grandmother from her home in Atlantic City. My dad taped up windows around our house, about four miles inland from the shore. 
I remember going to the coast after dark as the storm pulled away to, perhaps my parents would now admit unwisely, quote, assess damage to the beach. Glory's impacts on the Jersey Shore were modest, my grandmother's house was unscathed, and life got back to normal in short order. Somewhere along the line, Glory ignited a passion for meteorology. It started with a hurricane in New Jersey, and as I sit here 32 years later, I openly wonder if a rain-laden hurricane in Texas is what extinguishes it. I've dealt with a few stressful forecasts in my career. There have been blizzards when I worked in upstate New York. Hurricane Irene in 2011 had me considering telling my parents to evacuate the same home we shored up for Gloria. In 2012 came Sandy. I had many friends and family members back in Jersey and New York directly impacted by that storm. The lead-up to that storm was one of the most stressful I've dealt with, though now a fading second to Harvey. At the time, I worked as a meteorologist for the energy trading arm of Deutsche Bank here in Houston. My boss was on a required two-week leave, and the onus fell on me to prepare a New York City office for Sandy's impacts. I remember conference calls and giving a worst-case scenario forecast I didn't really even grasp. Sandy was the storm that, as a passionate weather geek, I drew on a map as a kid that wasn't ever supposed to happen. It was difficult to see the Jersey Shore, my homeland, so ravaged, but my life had brought me to Houston by then, so there was a buffer there to reduce the storm's emotional impact, but it remained difficult to watch. Life had indeed brought me and my wife to Houston. We moved here in 2012 after stops in Jacksonville, Southern California, and upstate New York. Maybe it's because I somehow grew up deep in Philadelphia Eagles territory as a Warren Moon and Houston Oilers fan. In parentheses, I'm not kidding here at all. I have the 1990s era starter jacket to prove it. But I have always had an affinity for Houston. I had no family here, and the first time I visited was on a job interview in 2008. As a broadcast meteorologist in upstate New York, I decided that the route I wanted to steer my career toward involved the energy industry. After discussing it over a long period of time with my wife, then fiancé, we decided that Houston would be our goal. It took us a few more years, but we arrived in 2012, a year or so after my wife's brother moved here. My wife's parents wouldn't be far behind. Houston didn't become a home. It became our home. That was Matt Lanza reading his post from SpaceCityWeather.com. We're now joined by Matt to talk more about his experience during Hurricane Harvey. When did you know that Harvey was going to be a storm of historic proportions? You know, was it a gut feeling? Was it based on the forecasting evidence that was strongly pointing towards a storm, you know, even beyond Allison's standards? When did you know? I probably knew by, well, I had a bad feeling by later Monday or Tuesday when, you know, it was evident that the the weather models had shown that something was going to stall. Uh, whatever it was, whether, you know, it came ashore as a, you know, a hurricane, a tropical storm, you know, came ashore in Brownsville or Mexico or Corpus, uh, all the solutions pointed to it stalling out. So at that point, you know, your antenna go up. Um, we've had two major flooding events here in Houston um, in the last, you know, three years, uh, you know, t- 2015 Memorial Day, 2016 tax day. So, you're already kind of heightened a little bit toward, you know, okay, this could be a heavy rain event. This could be a problem. Um, so, you know, by, by Monday or Tuesday, when it was pretty clear that, that we were, uh, going into uh, some sort of stall situation, that's never a good thing, uh, in Texas. So, uh, I was starting to get a little bit nervous there. Um, but you know, you'd been following progress of it and, and knowing that it was going to be a risk for at least seven to 10 days prior to that, so it was already kind of on your radar, you know, and it's sort of in the back of your mind and you're looking at it every day. And then all of a sudden that week you come in Monday and Tuesday, especially, it's just like, whoa, what, what is going on here? 
And for reference, the storm made landfall Friday evening? Friday evening, it made landfall near Corpus, and the real bad rains in Houston were uh, Saturday night and a Sunday morning. So we spent a short time together at the American Meteorological Society last January, and and I got to know you a little bit for the first time outside of Twitter. And then I read your story, and that was just full of a ton of raw emotion. And I feel like I know you better now and I know who you actually are and and so thank you for writing that and I was wondering what was your inspiration behind writing that yeah um uh thank you for the kind words there um I I think some of it was you know during during the storm you know you're going through an event that is of you know just an epic magnitude right and you I don't know if I'm ever going to be going through another event like that in my career. That may be the last one. I don't know. I hope it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, you just don't know. So one of the things I wanted to do was kind of document, you know, how I felt. And it's very tough to to keep like a a journal or a diary or whatever as you're going through the event. There's just no time. You're just constantly going from one thing to the other. So uh, after the storm, probably about two days after I had kind of settled down and, you know, we were sort of in mop-up mode um, in Houston, I I started kind of just writing when I had a little bit of time, trying to put into words sort of how I felt. It was, it was the the emotion and the feeling that I had after the storm was, I've never felt that. And I I can't really describe it. If you asked me to do it now, I couldn't do it. That's why I wrote it kind of then to be sort of a... Uh, uh, just a lasting, you know, impression of my own for me to have and maybe to share with other people. Maybe they would, you know, resonate with them. I, I don't know, but I, I just kind of wanted to get into words. I'm, I'm just kind of naturally a writer and I just wanted to write it down. I read through your comments on the post and you had a ton of responses. And this, this was, some of the responses were just as powerful and emotional as what you wrote. Many were brought to tears. Many were pouring out their thanks to you and Eric. So I'm wondering, has Harvey changed the connection you have with your readers and fellow Houstonians? It has. Um, This is where a lot of people are now actually relying on us heavily um, to give them information that they want. Uh, So it's changed in the in the sense that this is a more serious venture, I think, than what we had uh, either of us had really expected, uh, at least at the speed with which that it. has developed. We sort of anticipated that over time we would build up an audience, but Harvey, I think, took us, you know, two or three years ahead of schedule, um, you know, within a week, uh, less than that, really. Um, so it, it's changed in that sense. And I think in the other sense, too, it's become more personal, um, for sure. Uh, obviously, reading all the comments, there were a lot of comments uh, to that post and to some of the other ones, too, uh, that we had posted throughout the, the storm. And there was no way that we were going to be able to read through all of them. And I tried to take a little bit of time um, as things started to calm down and read through some of the comments. And it probably about a week after I posted, you know, the post that you guys are referencing, um, you know, I finally got to reading through the comments on that and it moved me as well. Um, seeing that it was very tough to reconcile the idea that, uh, these people are so grateful, you know, myself was not, I I was not deeply impacted by the storm physically. Um, you know, our home was fine. Everything was fine where we were. Thankfully, we're very fortunate. Um, but you've got all these people, a lot of them that were not so fortunate, that were um, just very grateful. So it was really tough to reconcile sort of the gratitude with the fact that they're going through so much stress and anxiety and and, and problems right now. Um, you know, but they, 
you know, if we could do something to help them, um, you know, I, I guess then we did our job, right? Um, just kind of giving them, um, giving them sort of a, a glimmer of hope through the storm while providing them information that they really wanted and needed at the time. So uh, it's definitely becoming a more uh, personal relationship, I think. Were there any stories that you heard either from people personally talking to you or read online that really stuck out to you, uh, you know, post Harvey? There was one that really kind of resonated with me. Um, uh, somebody that lives Southeast of Houston had commented on, on one of our posts um, and they, they basically said that, you know, I, I followed you guys before the storm every now and then. And when you were, I, I knew that when you were starting to get nervous, that it was serious. Um, and I took it very seriously from that point on. Um, I could just tell in the tone of your writing, you know, things like that. Um, and what they did was, is they moved some of their personal possessions from their ground floor to their second floor in anticipation that it might flood. And it did flood. And because they were prepared, their possessions, whatever they moved, were fine, high and dry. Um, and, and that really resonated to me because you know, it's not very often that you hear a very specific story about how forecast information can directly impact a person's decision making to a point that it actually, you know, does them the right thing. I mean, every now and then you you hear stories about people getting out of harm's way and things like that, but never to, uh, I've never heard it to that specificity and never from one of my own forecasts, as much as you like to say after an event, like, oh, well, at least you have your life, you know, possessions can be replaced, blah, blah, blah. You know, people don't want to hear that necessarily. Um, and, and if it's just one little thing that, that, can make their lives easier post uh, a storm of that magnitude. Um, and because of something that we did, they took action. Uh, that's pretty awesome to me. And that, that in sort of encourages me and sort of inspires me, motivates me, I guess, uh, going forward that, yeah, you know, sometimes you may not always hear stuff, but you know, you know, deep down that when it gets serious, people are going to listen, they're going to act. So this this episode is going to air after the World Series is over, but we're recording this episode uh, right before Game Six. Game Six is tomorrow. Houston is up three to two, and they have the chance to to take it all. Um, Matt, what what has this living in Houston, being a fan of the Astros, what what has this kind of meant to you and the people around you to be in this World Series? Uh, it's meant a lot. It's I think it's been a nice distraction from you know uh, for a lot of people that have have had to go through a lot of struggles and a lot of problems um, in the recovery. Um, I think that the team has united the city. The city's united around the team. Um, you know, it, it's a group of of young players that just play their guts out every night and they've done it all season. And I think people recognize that and love it. And the fact that the team has sort of taken the city on its back too. And, um, you know, they've done a lot philanthropically for the city, uh, in the wake of Harvey. Um, I think it, it just, it's, it's an incredible storyline. You know, we knew that this was going to be a possibility before Harvey. Um, but to see it actually evolve, after Harvey, you know, if, if they, if they lose, uh, you know, six and seven, it'll be heartbreaking, but, um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they still throw a parade for these guys. I'll be rooting for you all. Thank you. Matt, thanks so much for talking with us. Let's listen back in on your post that you wrote after Hurricane Harvey. One of the toughest things about hurricane season is its duration, akin to running a marathon. You may see something emerge off Africa and it will take two to three weeks before you're done tracking it. 
You need mental and at times physical endurance to handle the forecasting tropical systems. Here we were on August 14th discussing it after watching it emerge off Africa on weather models a week prior, and here we are in early September still talking about floodwaters from it. The storm has consumed a month of my life in counting. By the time we got to Monday, August 21st, the forecast had evolved some. My tropical note read, quote, regardless of the final landfall point, it's likely that Harvey's remnants will end up in South Texas this weekend, delivering several rounds of potentially heavy rainfall. As the week progressed, writing the forecasts became more foreboding. My situation was unique in that our company has sites near Corpus Christi, Port Arthur, and we're headquartered in Houston. So for me, it wasn't just flooding, but it was a Category 4 hurricane, a biblical flooding event, and more that I needed to focus on. It involved our business, but it also involved people, like our Space City weather readers, that were concerned about their family, their properties, and their safety. Eric was incredibly understanding of my situation and my limits on being able to contribute to our site early on in the storm, and I thank him for that. Houston is home, and here I am creating a weather forecast that I know could potentially devastate this city, my city, our city, and change it forever. Weather models constantly indicated risks for 30, 40, or 50 inches of rain in high-confidence fashion somewhere between Beaumont and Victoria. I couldn't comprehend that amount of water in such a short time. How do you reconcile a patently absurd forecast with the reality that it's probably going to verify? We see messages from people wondering if they should just leave. I get emails from coworkers worried about losing their homes on the coast near Port Aransas. What do you tell people? How do you express this? As the event unfolded, it got harder and harder to do. Seeing pictures of the devastation, getting text messages from family who live nowhere near a bayou and still took water into their home, getting messages from friends who were worried about water coming into their apartments. I came close to breaking down on Sunday morning completely. I've never felt so heartsick and helpless in my life. Disasters which had, for all my life to this point, been mostly impersonal, finally became real, raw, and very personal. My wife gave me some advice that helped sustain me through the rest of the storm. You have to be like a doctor giving a patient bad news. You don't have to be steely and impersonal about it, but you have to be able to keep yourself strong enough to give them the information they need to help them get to the next point. And from Sunday onward, that was the only way I was able to keep myself together. Denise and I are truly fortunate. We did not take on water and our home is fine. I have survivor's guilt because of this and I realize how lucky we are. I've always been someone who tends to absorb other people's problems. If you're feeling pain, then there's a part of me that feels a little bit with you. It's why I try not to ignore many questions from folks when I see them. There are people I know that are scared of storms or nervous about things, and I feel that, so I feel obligated to respond. But after Harvey, with so many hurting, and as someone who had to deliver that message along with so many other meteorologists, I feel immense pain for our community. It all has forced me to ask myself questions. I've always loved weather and been fascinated by the natural world. I like to try and deal with forecasts that are challenging and in situations where my forecast can be utilized to benefit a person or a business or a planner. It's why I transitioned from energy to energy from broadcasting. The challenges are significant and the results of a bad forecast are very easy to see in a bottom line. I don't want an easy problem. I want to solve big problems. And that's always going to be who I am, I guess. But do I still love weather? I guess so. But if we're really being honest here, I don't know right now. As a kid, I was scared to death of lightning. Lights on, hide under the covers, run to my parents' bedroom, something. At some point, that fear disappeared completely, and I grew to appreciate the stunning beauty and power of lightning. But between Memorial Day 2015, Tax Day 2016, and Harvey in 2017, along with a few other significant flood events in between, I honestly think I'm not going to be able to sleep now when it's raining. There's no rain gentle enough that will allow me to drift off to sleep in peace. Why? Because it will make me worried. Worried for myself and my family, maybe a little but worried for Houstonians, for people that have been through this once or twice or even three times. And I know so many in this city will never be able to appreciate 
it to experience the soothing, relaxing, gentle sound of rain again either, and it saddens me. Maybe that fear of rain will disappear with time for Houstonians, and myself too, I hope so, but I do wonder where my passion for weather goes from here. When you love a place, yeah, you love it for the things in the community, but you love it for the people. Without the people, the things wouldn't exist. The stories in the wake of Harvey of people helping, contributing, volunteering, they're awesome. I mean, to a lot of us in Houston, we already knew that we lived in an exceptionally caring community, but to see it on display in such an enormous way helped ease some of the heartache. It's J.J. Watt, it's Mattress Mac, but mostly it's average Houstonians, Texans, and Americans who just knew what to do when the devastation was clear. We're going to be okay. It's not going to be easy or fun, and a lot of people are going to need a lot of help for a long time. When friends asked me what they could do, I told them to contribute money to local Houston charities, but then I told them to think about coming down here in November or December. When the rest of the world has moved on, there are still going to be many Houstonians who need help. Memories and shock wear off over a period of time. I want others to remember the example that Houston set in the wake of Harvey, and I want them to come down here and be a small part of it. Eric and I will forge ahead on Space City weather. The kind words and thank yous from readers have been overwhelming and a bit difficult to reconcile in the aftermath of this devastation. Houston's blessed to have one of the deepest meteorological benches in the country. There are a lot of talented meteorologists in this city, many providing valuable public information. For this reason, I'm humbled by those that have chosen us as their go-to source, and I intend to double down on what I can do to inform and educate our readers. I know Eric feels the same. There are going to be a lot of tough questions to ask after this event about what kind of future we want in Houston. And we're going to be involved in that conversation. We have to be. We both care too much for this city and region. Houston has proven to me time and again it is capable of being the greatest city in the world. The diversity of the people, the food, the culture, the ability to do things, it's amazing. But we have to be willing to put aside our differences, as we have so beautifully done since Harvey struck, and work toward a common end goal. Keep Houston a city that can sustain and thrive in the future despite an occasional flood. We're never going to prevent flooding in Houston, but we can work out better ways to plan for it, manage it, and live with it here. Previous Houstonians came up with innovative solutions to help keep the city growing and thriving despite the occasional flood. Those solutions have become somewhat obsolete in the 2017 version of Houston. It is now time for a new generation of Houstonians to work out new solutions to this complex problem, and if Eric and I can keep that conversation going and progressing forward, then we will have contributed positively to the long-term growth and prosperity of Houston. Much like Houston itself, this quasi-love letter to Houston is complicated. Choices have brought me here, and experiences have affirmed time and again that it was the right decision. I may not be a native Texan, but Houston is home. And despite everything we have been through in the last few years, there's no place on earth I'd rather call home than Houston, Texas. We'd like to thank Katie, Sean, and Matt for joining us today and telling their story. But that's going to do it for this week in In the Elements. Houston is still very much in the process of recovery. So if you like, if you would like to help out, there's a great charity that Matt Lanza told us about. It's called the Greater Houston Community Foundation, and we'll link to it in show notes. If you want to listen to more episodes of In the Elements, keep listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. And give us a rating or review. We'd love to hear from you. For Dakota and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Yes, science!